We are all about great causes here at Sex and Space. Today's shout-out is for Gender Minorities Aotearoa. They are a nationwide transgender organisation in Aotearoa, New Zealand. It is run by and for transgender people, including non-binary, intersex and irafiti takutapui people. They offer information, services and wraparound support for transgender people of all ages, ethnicities and backgrounds. The vision of Gender Minorities Aotearoa is for all transgender people to be empowered by a full range of choices across all aspects of their lives and to be able to participate fully in society. They do so much great work. Go check them out at genderminorities.com or at Gender Minorities Aotearoa on Facebook. They are Cole's charity of choice today. Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found. Hello, I'm Tim. I'm all on my own today as the lovely Jess is on maternity leave with their glorious and beautiful new baby. Welcome along to episode 10 of Sex and Space. Here we explore sex across all of its infinite dimensions. Just a few little bits of housekeeping before we launch into another epic conversation. We're going to be wrapping up season one after episode 12, so that means you've got two more to enjoy after this one. I mean, it seemed like a good number just to pause on, but we are going to be busy putting together season two for you. We've got some great guests coming up that I'm super excited about. And in my dear Jess's absence, we are going to be bringing you some excellent guest hosts too. So looking forward to sharing the mic with them. In yet more exciting news, I'm currently recording this intro in our very own brand new podcast studio. I'm actually sitting on the floor as it's completely devoid of furniture, the carpet's in and let me tell you it is glorious once it's all finished not only will our guests and ourselves sound fantastic but we'll be able to add a video element to our podcast too so you can see and enjoy us in the flesh which i hope uh, doesn't ruin it for anybody please make sure you're following us on the gram at sexandspace.com that's sexandspace d-o-t-c-o-m for all news about upcoming episodes and when season two is dropping. If you're just joining us, please check out our previous episodes. We've talked to drag kings, sex workers, therapists, advocates, and more. Coming up, we've got doctors, educators, and poet. So hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening. Right, let's get into it. This is the last episode that Jess recorded with me before scuttling off and having a baby, and is with the wonderful Cole Mayers. Cole is a writer, activist, and educator. They are the writer and co-producer for the recent and internationally and critically acclaimed film, Rurangi. He works as a consultant on trans and gender diverse narratives and inclusion in film, television, web series, and theatre, including Shortland Street, where he is currently a dialogue writer and previously a storyliner. He's a regular speaker and interviewee on trans representation and is passionately focused 
on supporting the authentic representation, creative opportunities, and powerful potential of gender-diverse people. Hope you enjoy. And now, the interview. Amazing. Well, I wrote it myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can say what I want. Yeah. You can say what you want. Is it all lies? <laughs> well, <laughs> now that it sounds coming Not to... very passionate at all. I, <laughs> I really give two tosses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this, this, is the, this is the thing you're leading with is this gorgeous, internationally critically acclaimed film, Rurangi. Tell us about Rurangi. Well, there's a there's an enormous question wrapped up in a in a starting off point, isn't it? Yeah. Um. Uh, my heart. Just to sum it up, really nicely and and shortly. Um. Yeah, it's something that I've kind of. Well, I mean, we've been working on it for a number of years now. Um, but certainly something that I've been is the culmination of many things that I've been thinking about for years over my, I say, career, but even that feels very strange to say. I'm still working out this whole being an adult thing. Um, <laughs> um, around, yeah, um, gender-diverse narratives and kind of how to how to do them right, I guess, mm. um, certainly, and how to not do them terribly. Mm. <laughs> Hollywood, listen up. <laughs> so, um, let's just drill into Sorry to say quick, that quick. Hollywood in, in, in totality is probably not listening to this podcast. <laughs> hey, hey now, hey now, yeah. we have bold aspirations to We sure do, yeah. <laughs> um, can you just drill into a little bit what gender diverse means when you're using that term? What does gender diverse mean to you? Um, I guess probably the easiest way to explain it is anyone that's not um, cisgender, and cisgender is someone whose gender identity matches the sex that they were assigned okay. at birth. Um, we talk about sex being assigned rather than sex being something which is innate, um, because it is something that is told to you or told to your parents um, by the medical professional based on you know a number of factors, but in generally that external characteristics um, of the body cool. rather than being something yeah that is immutable or or um, yes yes I'm currently <laughs> or certain or any of these these yeah, terms right. it's all a whole lot more wiggly than than people like to think it is really yeah I, I'm uh, as we record this podcast I am 36 weeks um pregnant mm. and there's been a lot of uh do you want to know the sex turn away from the scan now mm. Mm. because obviously from the scan they can tell yeah this of course thing. <laughs> or that's the presumption is that um it's really like you just act really shocked it's like whoa really <laughs> man i'm amazed the magic of these things like you can see into the future so what you're saying is child is born basically doctor looks at genitals yeah. Assigns a sex, which is here is all the things in your life that are possible for you f- forever. And right, that end. Okay, <laughs> and so if somebody like gets assigned something that they don't agree with, mm. then and identifies as something other than that sex, 
then they qualify as gender diverse. Qualify. <laughs> but you know, yeah. in your definition. There's, there's, sorry, a, there's a rigorous there's a rigorous exam. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> achieved merit and excellence. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, gender diverse is kind of like a broader term than mm. the term transgender, um, because some people who identify as gender diverse don't uh, um, identify with the words transgender when talking about themselves. Um, mm. But they don't identify with the gender they were assigned at birth. Either. Oh, okay. So we kind of tend to say trans and gender diverse or gender diverse. Um, okay. But gender diverse. For a group of people. Gender yeah. diverse is more all encompassing. Yeah. 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 So in terms of. I don't want to rail on Hollywood too much. Maybe I do. Go for it. What are they getting wrong? Um, <laughs> this in, podcast in is only like an yeah, hour yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I mean, I guess probably the first one is casting Scarlett Johansson. Um, I've actually railed on Scarlett Johansson twice today, so that's all of my that's all of my meanness to her for today. Um, <laughs> so casting her in a, a role in a in a trans her. role, um, yeah. and it's kind of sad that that's like a like you know, give people some pats on the back for doing doing that right, as yeah. in, like, cast you in a story about you, mm-hmm. um, in the same way that it's kind of sad to have to, you know, in the past, to have to be like, good job, you cast a Chinese person to play a Chinese person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or you, you know, cast a black person and exactly. put, put down your and, blackface makeup. Yeah, and, and yeah. kind of what Hollywood and has been doing as far as casting um, trans roles for pretty much only up until very recently um, will be looked at, I am very sure, in the future in the same way that um, casting roles of people of colour with white people um, will be looked at. (laughs) And it's not just about the actors um, involved, though, is it? It's also... The narratives that are being told and those sort of those other elements are they missing out on that as well? I mean, there's kind of a few parts to it. Um, one, there are so few roles that are actually available to trans actors to begin with. Yeah. So to take away another like one of them by casting with a with a cis person, you know, is pretty stink. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I guess the largest one is that, well, no, then the next one is, you know, you're getting so much more authentic um, uh, portrayals of characters Mm. um, Mm. if you're casting authentically, obviously. Um, You know, someone could spend half a year um, learning mm. to be trans mm. um, and not get anywhere near the the depth and nuance mm. um, that uh, that a performance um, just comes naturally yeah. to someone who's that's their lived experience. You don't, don't need to go away and study that when that's me at the supermarket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the I mean the biggest one is though that the damaging ideas um, around trans people are 
often perpetuated um, through the casting decisions um, for trans women in particular. Um, by casting cis men to play trans women is continuing this idea that trans femininity is in itself a performance. Yeah. Um, and that when we see um, when we see cis men going up on award stages and things like that with full beards and accepting awards for playing women, um, this idea that trans women are just playing yeah. a role are just yeah are just you know men in dresses and those kind of ideas lead very much directly to um, things like cis men um, being attracted to trans women and finding out that they're trans panicking and enacting yeah. violence um, mm. against mm. trans women and when you look at the rate of harassment, violence and death amongst trans women, particularly trans women of colour, you know, like anything that you're possibly doing to to um like perpetuate that to perpetuate that is yeah. like yeah. Uh, is so damaging. Yeah. Um all of these things I talk a lot about it and I and I go, it's not taking it too far to say that stopping these kind of negative portrayals saves lives, mm-hmm. and on the flip side, making more positive portrayals and creating more positive opportunities for trans people is saving lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and building a so in in a number of tangible ways. You mean like um, exposing. Um, non-gender diverse people to an authentic experience and creating understanding and empathy, that that sort of thing? Yes, is but a, I think more more importantly than that is around um, you know, it's not just stopping cis people from doing violence against trans people, it's giving trans people enough empowerment and enough um, ideas about the possibility and and the desirability of their continued existence um, to stop to stop us doing violence against ourselves right yeah um, the rates of self-harm and and suicide attempts amongst trans and gender diverse people is phenomenally mm. high. Um, I think there was a study in the States um, a few years ago that put the suicide attempt rate at 41%. Right, so it's actually um, about showing... And I would feel like that's probably under-representing oh, yeah. it. The, the New, Zealand, the New Zealand one that we were looking at, uh, mm. counting ourselves, put it at something like 79% mm. of attempted suicides in mm. New Zealand mm. yeah. in the trans and non-binary community. That yeah. just blew my mind. 79%. Yeah. It's four out of every five yeah. trans people you meet. Mm. That's outrageous. Yeah. And do you think that that's because there aren't many, I don't know, uh, like, is it, it's not about uh, seeing role models, is it, or opportunities? Or it's just about that 
I mean, for me, I mean, I didn't come out as trans till quite a lot later in life than a lot of people. It's mm. certainly a lot of people these days, young people, are like, and and that's because they are actually seeing trans people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's not. It's not even just seeing like awesome, amazing portrayals of trans people. It's seeing trans people full stop. Yeah. Um, I had no idea that was that was even a thing. And so all these feelings that I was having about myself and about my body and about, you know, my future and, and all these things like that, there just wasn't anything yeah. there. Mm. The path just stopped. Yeah. Mm. And it's still quite narrow as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're still not seeing the complex, you know, positive, authentic portrayals mm. um, that we need to be seeing. Yeah. Um, which is kind of why creating this was so important. Yeah. Um, when I kind of came on board to begin with, I had this, like, list of books multiple pages long about you know of all the things that I that I didn't want to see but probably more importantly all the things I did want to see or that were just so desperately needed to be seen um and things like you know loving family relationships and like healthy loving romantic and sexual relationships and yeah. community and and connection and meaningful engagement and meaningful work employment um yeah yeah, yeah life that's... life past any kind of coming out or transition mm. story you know so often when we are seeing trans stories they're only transition stories and it's this idea that the only interesting thing about trans people, the only thing thing about trans people is is our transness, but actually like, you know, we have all the other things that human beings have as well and that going on in our lives. Yeah. Um, and um, I, and I made that sentence so long that I forgot what I was <laughs> where it started. Um you're talking about a huge list of things that you wanted to see. And yeah, some yeah. Because yeah. um, I know, like, I, from my own experience, what seeing something like Hudangi would have meant to mm. me when I was younger. Yeah. Have you had that feedback from the trans and gender diverse community so far? Yeah, yeah, which has been the most kind of important and powerful feedback certainly for me um and i've said that the whole way through and i think we've all kind of known that was our was our bar was not so much if like our critical feed like critics feedback was you know phenomenal or anything like that Mm. but it's been really heartening that we have had some incredibly positive feedback um but whether the people that, you know, certainly I was making it for um, were feeling themselves represented mm. Um, mm. and feeling like, yeah, that it did offer some hope. I mean, especially for young people. Um, mm. Later this year, um, we're actually going to show it at a youth hui for um, queer and trans 
young people and just like the excitement that I have over them seeing it is tops, you know, showing it at international film festivals and mm. things like that because I'm just like, these are the people who I made it for, but these are the people who need to see it. So Yeah, if we can, if we get critically acclaimed, yeah. it's like trans acclaimed. Is the <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is it's like, you know, all the... You know, acclaim from critics and things like that goes towards getting it out there further and and more people who need to see it seeing mm. it and benefiting from it. So. Yeah, because there's a ama- you have an amazing website um, alongside this film rurangi dot com r u r a n g i dot com, which Thanks is for that. Um, <laughs> not everyone can spell well. Um, I can't spell so well out loud and like or in like in my head. I have to like close my eyes and think really like. I'm here yeah. for you. I'm here well, for you. there you go. <laughs> um, I was just going to say on that website you have a um, part of it that's kind of a really about your that mission statement and the values and we were looking into that and kind of going oh it's not just that you've cast trans characters and trans trans actors and trans roles mm. it actually goes quite a lot deeper than that it's kind of goes through the whole production process it seemed to us can you talk a little bit about that yeah um it was always very important for all of us that it wasn't just a case of what we were producing um just like the product that came out at the at the end which mm. you know is obviously really important as well and that's and that's what our our young people see and that's what they get benefit from but the it was about the whole process being something that was empowering and valuing trans voices as well um and so kind of that came in in so many different ways and I'm probably going to forget a bunch of them so do go to that website <laughs> because I should probably go to that website and study up again. <laughs> um, some of the kind of ones from the very beginning that we had was that um, all our trans roles were cast with trans actors, mm. um, that we had compulsory cast and crew gender and sexuality training um, for everyone. Okay. Um, because it's that thing of, like, it's all well and good saying, you know, we're only going to to bring trans people in to play these roles and things like that, but I feel like so often that's where things stop. And, you know, if you're bringing people in to work on something, like, you have a responsibility to look at after them and Mm. to make sure that they're respected and that they're safe and comfortable Mm -hmm. um and you know even if you're just thinking from a like how can i get the most money for my you know value for my money point of view Mm. you go you want to give people everything that they need to do their job well Mm. um and funny that but actually like you know people feeling safe and comfortable and respected helps them do their job <laughs> their job well like just FYI to anyone wanting some some sweet business skills from me who doesn't know much about business skills um, but you know a lot about safety <laughs> yeah and and um and another thing was around you know when we were looking for um like trying to find trans people for various other positions um, of responsibility and and 
decision making and things like that and we're struggling to find things like trans directors or producers who had the availability or the expertise um, of like the level that we required um, to to make this um, and not finding them out there in New Zealand or not finding them out there that, that we had access to and going well okay things don't just stop there then like mm. what's you know as I feel like that's another thing that kind of Hollywood does is it goes oh well we couldn't find anyone well that's it then like and then just kind of carries on and you go yeah well what are you doing though to like make sure that that's not the case for next time mm, mm. Um, otherwise this problem is just going to keep happening mm. Um, mm. because there are so many barriers in the way of you know trans people and gender diverse people having access to the training or the opportunities or um, networking opportunities and all that sort of stuff um, to be able to, to get to that point in their career yeah. Um, and so we had uh, six paid creative internship um, opportunities for gender diverse people um, to train in those areas. That's so cool. Um, yeah, and yeah. you know, and then hopefully that being the case of the, you know they can move up and take higher higher roles in yeah. future. Yeah future Rurangi um, seasons and mm. um, yeah which is exciting mm. um, there was well, there's always there's like multiple things and I always forget which I know which one I yeah. really love which is the breaking hierarchies one because I've been on film yes. sets before and that thing of like the decision it really sits at the top and everybody yeah. just like it's one of the old, oldest hierarchies still remaining yeah. isn't it the yeah. film set yeah. and I loved this line that you had on the website which was like it's about context over control so the people who the decision affects are in the room to voice their position while yeah. a decision is being made and that yeah like there is that is that understanding right that like contextual experience is just as valid as their position in the yeah chain of power yeah i guess probably the most obvious one is around the internship um program mm -hmm. which was like we called it an internship program um but it was kind of like a sharing of knowledge and it was this recognition that while you know our HODs um, were the ones with the knowledge in that area of things that actually our um, gender diverse interns were the ones who had the expertise and the experience in funny that but mm. being trans and what that lived experience is. Mm. And so, you know, um, just a good example is probably um, the art department and being like, while our, our art intern was learning about, you know, how to be an art director, our art director was deferring to our trans intern as far as things like, you know, what does a trans activist's house look like? And mm. what should I put on the walls in there? Rather than it being like, you do this and you do this and you do this. And, and uh, that, um, you know, power and, and 
I mean, nervousness, certainly, if it was my experience about being like, um, actually, you know, that's not quite, you know, or that's really problematic, and mm. or that's any trans person is going to see that and be like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I've watched films like that where you go in, you know, some some trans guys like, oh, yeah, I'm hardcore and I'm lifting weights and I'm injecting my testosterones every day in, in my arm and and you're there being like, no, that's not where it goes. Oh, God, that's not how, like, what are you even... And just laughing about it. And, I mean, you've got to laugh at it, otherwise you kind of have a little bit of a cry about the fact that it's mm. like... In order for this to have made it to the screen, to the cinema, to my eyeballs, to laugh at it, like, at no point during this whole process was anyone like me empowered to say, hey, wait a sec. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Lol, no. Yeah. Um, which, you know, that's that's the kind of implicit education that comes mm. from things like that. It's not necessarily the stuff that stands out so much. It's the going... No one like me was trusted enough with our own stories mm. to be involved in making decisions about our own stories. Mm. Um, which was, yeah, that thing about breaking down hierarchies, like making sure that we could kind of do everything within our power, you know, recognizing that there was things that were outside our power, um, but everything within our power to kind of make sure that, yeah, the people who had the knowledge, got to share the knowledge. Mm. And the people that decisions affected, you know, got to be there making those decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, another, probably another good example is around wardrobe and that um, rather than treating it as in, you know, wardrobe says, you wear this and that's it, um, making these things a negotiation around what do we need to achieve with wardrobe, what do we need to achieve through the script and and, and that we then see um, and actually what do you need for feeling comfortable and safe and confident in your body. Um, and it's, it was interesting because sort of once we started to think about these things for uh, looking after our gender diverse um, actors it was kind of like, well, you know, one, we don't want them to necessarily feel like they're being, like, othered by being like, you go off to that room and you have your talk with the wardrobe department and whatnot and everyone else just suck it up. Um, but going like, actually, it's kind of nice for everyone to have some input in these things because trans people don't have a, you know, a monopoly on you know, body image issues. <laughs> mm. um, and everyone, you know, deserves an opportunity to feel as safe and comfortable and confident enough to do their best work. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we were having these conversations with all um, all the cast and and conversations around, like, how do you... You know, is there anything as far as... Um, your body being touched or body parts or ways of, of, you know, being interacted with in your body that you don't feel comfortable with or that you feel unsafe with. And um, and then having, you know, our cis actors say, you know, and it, 
I'm so new to this industry, but to have them say to us, like, thank you, because no one has ever asked me. Mm. If, <laughs> mm. And just, like, I remember the moment the first person said that to me and just being, like, so struck by the fact that it's, like, where are our conversations around bodily autonomy and consent and things like that mm -hmm. and at that level like yes we've, we're opening up these conversations which you know need to be had so much more and more and there's just such a toxic culture still you know there it's not all fixed or anything around um, sexual harassment and sexual assault but actually at a really basic level you know like just is this thing in the script saying your body is touched in this way? Like, is there, are there ways of making that more of a negotiation rather than a directive or an order? Um, and I think it, I don't know, it feels like it makes you a better, better creator if you are kind of staying flexible and staying fluid about these sorts of things. And, and maybe, I don't know, sometimes I feel like <laughs> my activist side is showing a bit too much and maybe there are probably some, you know, writers who would be like, no, you just do whatever I fucking say in my script and suck it up. Um, but, uh, you know, for me as a writer, I'm like, no, please. Like, you know, if I'm writing stuff that's making people feel unsafe, mm. like, or there are ways that the same thing can be achieved, in a way that everyone feels safe and respected, mm. then don't, doesn't it pay to try? <laughs> yeah. yeah, seems pretty revolutionary to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you, because you just mentioned your activism, and so, I mean, now you're sort of New Zealand's most prominent, or, or, you know, or... Um, That's good, I'll write that in my next book. There bio. we go, in expo. <laughs> New Zealand's most prominent um, trans storyteller is how I would... Is how I think about you. Not to say that there aren't other trans storytellers out there that haven't, like, just haven't had the same light on them. Yeah. yeah. But um, is there a lot of pr pressure <laughs> to be at the front of the boat? I'm sure uh, my um, anxiety levels would say one thing to that. Good <laughs> question. Yeah, it is. Um, and it has been quite a journey for me to work with that rather than because that can just like make you oh so overwhelmed with feeling the the weight of the responsibility that mm. sometimes you just end up not being able to do anything um yeah. and so kind of recognizing that actually I can do as much as I can and I can keep learning and and keep being very, very aware of where I'm still learning and, mm. you know, who I need to be learning from mm. and what spaces I'm not even aware that I <laughs> need learning. Because you didn't um, always do storytelling, right? Do you? No, I mean, when I... First? Yeah, when I first came out as trans, I was very, I guess, focused on activism in the classical sort of idea of activism. Um, like, more 
explicit educational work and things like marches and mm. um, and things like that. And it got to a point where I was just, it was not healthy for me. Um, I was feeling so much pressure and the weight of so many kind of people who, you know, and part of it was was being fresh to the whole idea and so not having a lot of those self-care um, structures in place but feeling like I was holding so many people's lives in my hands and that I couldn't breathe or sleep or anything because I would miss a phone call from someone saying that they were going to harm themselves and <clears throat> that would be my responsibility and that, you know, every... <laughs> Anytime I fly on a plane these days and they say the thing about, you know, put your own oxygen mask on before you help anyone else, and it's like, yeah, well, it makes a lot of sense because you're not actually helping anyone if you pass out before you can um, (laughs) get their oxygen mask on to to begin with. Um, And so I did have to take some time away, um, and I told myself that I was going to focus on my own kind of creative stuff because at that point I'd recognised just how much there my own creative work was refilling um the you know the cup that was being emptied mm. by by activism um and then getting a little bit of distance from it and and focusing on you know my own acting work and doing my own writing um and just, I guess, realising how much activism was in me just following my heart and following what it was that I really wanted to do with my life. And I'd had this kind of idea for so long that I kind of could either do what I loved or be who I was and that I couldn't actually do both. Um, I mean, particularly in relation to acting and this idea that I never wanted that... And this is only in hindsight that I realise this, but, like, looking back and thinking that I never wanted to make a name for myself as not myself. Mm. Um, That I didn't want to go and pursue acting and then be successful at acting and then be like, fuck, I've made this whole portfolio of work or I've made this whole, like, successful career and no one knows who I even really am Um, because I haven't let myself open up that door in my head to who I really am yet. Um, But, uh, yeah, taking that time to to work on my own creative stuff and realising that... I did need to do that and that following that rather than just, you know, being this martyr for the, you know, marching down the street um, was activist work, you know, in itself, but that I couldn't separate what I was writing about and and activist work. There was... Mm. It's just... And that's not everyone, you know, I and I have, you know, done some work which has just been pure, like, escapist sci-fi <laughs> brilliance, 
I say brilliance, not really. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so much of it is around exploring identity and is around exploring trans experiences and, um, and realising just how much that I can still be doing as much good or even more good um, through putting those things out there um, as I could be through explicit yeah. educational work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems there's a lot of value to come out of this kind of change of direction, you know, in terms of the people that you get to see your work and mm-hmm. have the responses you're talking about, but also that whole education and thing about the, you know, that you did with the rest of the cast and crew um, and and that that whole... But even getting away from, like, education in that, like, more clear-cut sense of things, actually, before we even get to education, we need to, we need to build empathy, mm. um, you know, because people actually don't listen or don't remember anything about what, if you're teaching them the right words for things, if they, like, don't care because Precisely, they don't yeah. give a fuck about these people. Yeah. Um, and, you know so much of this that kind of work is going in through the mind and there's so many mental defences that people have against new information yeah. if it doesn't fit with mm. their view of how things are and how things always have been and how things always should be um, I put my <laughs> conservative voice on to yeah, say that yeah. Yeah, right. the talkback radio voice oh, yeah um, <laughs> long time to stuff first time <laughs> um, and uh, and whereas things like narrative um, and, you know, at, at the core of things, Kaz's story is a pretty simple and universal story about someone feeling feeling shame and feeling alienation and and and, sort of and feeling son returns yeah story exactly kind of, it's yeah, like right. you know I, and I think about it and I'm like I've seen that lots of times like mm. you know someone's gone away from small town for. A period of time and have changed quite a lot and come back and yep. had to reconnect with their past. Yeah, like you know, it's quite a classic, classic story. Classic. Yeah, um, but you know, we haven't seen it in this context, and 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 because it is, you know, something that we've seen a lot, that it can kind of go through in in the heart. You know, it mm. you do feel like this person is someone who's feeling shame mm. and I f- have felt shame this person is feeling connection and you know I like connection in my life mm. <laughs> yeah. and all of those sorts of things like that you know to the point that then you can go you, once we have established we're all human beings and we're all worthy of respect and love and and have all had hard shit happen and, and want good stuff to happen like um then we can sort of get to the, and here are the right, here's the mm. best language mm. um, to yeah. describe these experiences that you. people are having and things like that, because you've actually established the, the soil for that to actually grow. And now, this. It began as a day or comparable space-time unit like any other at Barbarella's. So, there I was, 
stuck in a Perean orgiastic convocation without a node chief. <laughs> I'm smacked you offered to cover the long weekend. What did you do? What could I do? I flipped the nearest poltronic onto its back and hid amongst its congees until the grong sounded. Then lasered a hole in the obstruct and got the hell out of there. Oof, close. If they'd found you without a sheaf, they'd probably have fed you to the thornack. <sighs> that would have been the least of my problems. I was still wearing my dom harness from the subject the night before. Dodged a felonial projectile there, didn't you? I'll say. I should have listened to my stroker and not offered weekend cover. Well... One of their heads has always been quite level. <laughs> and you know what they say, Flabbly Dobverani. <laughs> Classic Nob Shatani. Oh, my side. Shit. What? It's a partho funnel, dear. Really? Yeah. Shit. Percy Dalek, Inspector Blumfitty, Interplanetary Reprimistry. My assistant, Farnick. Meow. Tashi Delic. Step away from the console. We do not wish our presence to be announced before we carry out our inspection. Your pleasure is our business. Spare me the commercial. The Ministry hasn't forgotten your last inspection. We eventually found our auditors working in your power trip fantasy section. No one forced them. Yeah, that's a different section. Enough. Prepare to be thoroughly scrutinized. <laughs> if anyone else said that, it would be hard. I'm warning you. Will Barbarella survive a vindictive audit? Does it conform to ISO 9000? Find out in the next episode of... Barbarellas, your pleasure is our business. And now, to more weapons-grade content. Uh, you talked before about your the gender and sexuality education, is that what mm. you call it? And I actually, years ago, had the privilege of... of undergoing this gender and sexuality <laughs> education, I think. I don't know how similar it looks. But at the, the time... Prototype, the prototype. The prototype of this, because... My first small um, class. I was, um, <laughs> I was privileged enough to... Um, this is like quite a while ago, actually. I was a cis actor at the time, cast in a trans role in one of your theatre works, and we did this gender and sexuality education, which really blew my mind and I think part of it is exactly what you're talking about it was actually it was education but um, it was empathy empathy driven first mm. so I was sitting there with a bunch of trans people hearing their lived and embodied experiences and that just floored me I just remember sitting, sitting there weeping in this uh, in this workshop being yeah. like holy shit I've, I had no I, I had no idea what I was on board for at that time, <laughs> and it was a it, it was, honestly it's a very critical turning point for me in um, both understanding and then wanting to express my gender diversity. Mm. So thank you for that. You're most welcome. <laughs> but also, well, I must say that actually you got the the coal um, gender diversity training, whereas we actually got the incredible Inside Out. Um, to come in and run our ah, cool. uh, gender and sexuality training. And have you been involved um, with them? Is that? Yeah, that's the um, hui that I'm um, going to run workshops and do some. Just knock something over. Mm, audio equipment. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, soon, actually. Um, mm. Workshops and stuff, um, but that yeah, they were the ones that came in um, and ran that training for us, and they incredible and yeah shout out to inside out hire them for stuff is that um, is that a good point of co- like if there are people listening who 
like how can I bring this kind of training into my workplace? Maybe they've got someone in their workplace who has recently, you know, identified differently from what pre- people previously thought and, and like how can we support them? Is is that the best thing to do, to contact something like Inside Out to get that support? Yeah, Inside Out are, yeah, are amazing for that kind of stuff. Okay. And if they aren't available to do it, we'll definitely be able to point you in the right direction okay um for maybe okay. somewhere closer by yeah. or yeah <clears throat> oh god <clears throat> but um certainly like it would have been lovely if i could have <laughs> run you know a similar kind of thing that we did all those years ago but it was quite too different. many people <laughs> yeah. too many people and also i was already wearing too many hats that were very very Fighting on my head at that point. Yeah, you're very busy. <laughs> yeah. You talked, to, uh, obviously, I've had the privilege of hearing your kind of embodied experience as a trans person, and you've talked a lot about that as the core of why it's so important that we have this visibility. Mm. Are you open to talking about what that embodied experience of being trans has been like for you? Because I know it's different for every tra- <laughs> trans person, surely. What? We're not all just <laughs> You're not one... the same. <laughs> yeah, and I guess whenever I talk about things like this, I'm always very clear to be like, this is just me as one person and I don't represent the, the experience of everyone. Um, and also don't take it for granted that every trans person will feel comfortable talking to you mm. about this and don't actually just ask random trans people stuff that yeah. you wouldn't ask anyone. Like, it's like, you know, as a as an absolute baseline, it's like, if you wouldn't ask a cis person, don't ask a trans person mm. about mm-hmm. it. Mm. Like, you know, it's funny, but we don't actually go, um, can you please describe your genitals to me in mm. explicit detail? Mm-hmm. Um, just random people that you meet. Um, this mm. tends to not go down super yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> Has anyone ever asked you to? No, no, no one's ever asked me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're missing yeah. out. I am, yeah. <laughs> I know, I was like, who's going to say it? <laughs> yeah. You're not. Yeah. <laughs> Just to be very clear. Um, yeah, I guess... I don't even know where to start or a mm. question like that. Um... I guess the thing, I guess, I mean, I'll just start where kind of my mind's at at the moment that I've been thinking a lot about lately, and and that's been around um, the interplay, I guess, of trans experience and dysphoria and um, eating disorders, um, because I've it's been kind of, I won't say New Year's resolutions because I hate New Year's resolutions, but it's been something that I've been working on recently has been about being more open about talking about my experience with eating disorders. Mm. Um, And it's also something that isn't talked about nearly enough. And actually trans people, here's some just, you know, factoid of the day. If you don't, if you forget everything else, I hope this is not the only thing that you remember, but (laughs) if you do, I'll I'll take something over nothing. Um, you know, trans people actually are four to five times more likely than any other group um, to suffer from eating disorders. Um, Why? Well, I mean, the, you know, there's, there is a lot of interplay with the way eating disorders and bodies and gender kind of interact. Mm. Um, I know for me, 
and again, hindsight, but looking and going, the things that I was, you know, that I was so hateful of that kind of started the original drive, you know, towards wanting to alter my body and, and you know, with food and, and eating were gendered right. elements of the body. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I think, you know, we absolutely gender that feminine and we gender muscle masculine. And so mm. if you're already feeling traumatized by, by puberty and the changes that, that kind of puberty enacts upon the body when it's not the way that you want <laughs> your body to go and that it's causing the world in general to treat you even more out of sync with how you see yourself. Um, and I'll say, you know, even if you're not aware that that's the reason why you feel so out of sync with yourself, because I did just think for until I was in, you know, early 20s even, that I was just a really fucked up girl. Um, because I had no, there was no understanding that transness was a thing that existed. And mm -hmm. so it wasn't, you know, a, a potential option in my head as to why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Um, but yeah, certainly. Um, and then later as a, as a non-binary person, again, feeling like... damaged by both, you know, masculine cultural ideals and feminine cultural ideals. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I don't know if that's something that's ever going to go away for me because it's just been so deeply ingrained, certainly around, around female socialization and, and body image. Um, and I, I did a slam poem many years ago like early on and things it was talking about how that it didn't matter whether certain body parts were, were body parts whether I wanted to exist on on my person or not and yet I was still having weird kind of envy when I would see pictures in magazines and this mm. because I just again I'm only talking about my own experience but because it was so drummed into me that that was what you were supposed to look like if you were a, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, that, uh, yeah, and just realising how bizarre that that was that, and just the depth that that kind of socialisation and, and damage around ideals can go. Um, can't even, again, remember where the, where the question started, but... That's, yeah, something around embodiment. That's right, embodiment that I've sort of been thinking a lot about lately. And and I think the fact that it's really important with eating disorder recovery that the needs of trans people, like, like and even at the most basic level of can I identify as not male or female on a form at an eating disorder mm -hmm. like recovery like um place it seems you know there's there's the minimum requirement 
do I exist here? Can I exist here in this recovery space? Um, but that the really unique needs, I think, there around the interplay between dysphoria and um, and recovery. Mm-hmm. And that maybe things that, you know, there were times certainly for me where the heart, like from a harm reduction perspective as well, you know, there were times for me where the, the harm that would occur to me or that I would enact upon myself um, based on the extremes of dysphoria were more than harm that would come to me through continuing to be engaged in I'm being so like diplomatic about the way that I'm trying to phrase this but the um yeah the harm that would be caused by continuing to engage in certain eating disorder behaviors yeah okay um and so it was a case of like yes ideally like I wouldn't have to choose between these things Mm. um but that maybe right now um in this context of my life or in this context of you know cultural context it's safer for me to continue to engage in this behavior than it is for me to not yeah wow. um which i don't know if that's and that feels you're talking about it like this is very current you're not talking about this as p- past the way um, you're talking about it some of it is past mm. um some of it is current, certainly. Mm. Um, you know, it, and that's the thing about talking about why there needs to be more education amongst eating disorder recovery professionals, I think, around gender identity and mm. that interplay. Because on one hand, my dysphoria is less when I'm at a lower weight. Mm. Mm. Wow. And maybe if, and this is not the case for me, but it might, you know, I, I know it's the case for, for other trans people because I've talked to them about it, um, you know, that the damage, um, either externally or internally, you know, the harm that might come there um, from from that dysphoria is more than harm that might come from continuing to be at that, Mm. exist at that weight. Mm. Um, And so that's, you know, and that's, I feel it's wrong to just put that on trans people to somehow be like, you're supposed to be strong enough to deal with that, whatever like that. And so often we try and individualize these problems and actually it's like, you know, the people that are dealing with these things are not are not we're the symptom of a cultural sickness. Yeah. Mm. Rather than specifically sick ourselves. Yeah. Mm. No, it seems like it's a you're absolutely right, it is the cultural sickness is is the weight obsession. Yeah. And the and the you know, the stereotyping the, that happens with that. And then and the unfortunately gender. you've got this other <laughs> The other, the yeah. other thing at play yeah. as well, yeah. So it seems like you're, 
and I mean that's, target -rich that's the main thing as well as yeah. being you know like there's a cultural sickness around the way in which we enforce gender yeah. mm. um, that's rather than any kind of thing about trans people are wrong mm. <laughs> yeah is there a layer in there that's about pa passing in order to avoid oh. external <laughs> violence you know like being like absolutely if, mm. if I'm a low weight then I'm less likely to be attacked. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're right. I mean, I, In the same yeah. way that, you know, there are lots of non-binary people who who kind of try and, you know, do things so that they are read, you know, in one of Is two binary options yeah. rather than what actually feels comfortable them and I know that I've you know certainly done that and I still mm. do that and it again it's not it's not a case of being like you trans people should be you know stronger than that to be yourself despite you know whatever like that it's like do not make us do not put that on us that we should choose between like you know violence being done to ourselves and being ourselves like you know mm. that's not our choice to make that's your choice as a culture, mm. well, I'd say, you know, you're talking, but I mean, like, yeah. that's, that's a cultural um, sickness. So if I'm just thinking about, like, um, maybe there's someone listening who um, is in a family environment, they've got a child coming through puberty, their child is starting to behave in some of these ways you're talking about, that they, maybe they've got uh, eating disordered behaviours, and they're also kind of questioning their gender and there's lots of things going on there. What is the best, like, how can we start to, at a really small level, break down that cultural sickness so that it doesn't live in that home? Like, what, what could, how could that family ally that person, in your opinion? I mean, anything that is breaking down those, like any kind of gender rigidity or any kind of gender stereotypes or gender roles is going to then have a knock-on effect if mm. if gender is is a contributing aspect to an eating disorder. And that's not saying that gender is a contributing factor to every trans person's eating disorder. Sometimes mm. they can be totally unrelated. Sure. Um, but, you know, things like getting education yourself and you know, providing a variety of trans kind of possibilities and depictions and mm. positive narratives and, you know, asking other gender diverse people in your life to give you recommendations as to what's good and things like that, knowing that you can't necessarily judge whether something is going to be a positive, you know, depiction or not. We don't know often if we're not of that group whether something would contribute positively or or not. Um, doing a lot of self-work, I guess, around the ways that you talk about bodies or talk about food or talk about good and bad and who deserves what. And, you know, because we've got so much... Um, again, as a culture, we've got so much judgment around what food is good, what food is bad. There's, you know, even the, the idea that health is the, supposed to be this thing, you know, that is the, is a moral thing, you know, is or, or that is something that everyone should be striving to achieve mm. um, as their most important thing 
in their life. Actually, sometimes it's not. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be. And no one should should be shamed or judged, you know, based on whether that... I kind of feel like I'm confusing <laughs> lots of different realms in my head at the moment. But, you know, this... Because that's quite... As someone, you know, with chronic illnesses and, and disabilities, the idea that my most important criteria that I judge myself in my life or that other people judge me in my life based on is whether I'm well or not. Obviously, that's really problematic. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, and... Um, going back to how you can, you know, help young people and things in, in your life. Um, or older people too. We always talk about, yeah. but, you know, I mean... Yeah, yeah, I guess really doing a lot of that self-examination about, you know, and it's good for you and your own, like, relationship to your body and, and your your health and your your experiences in the world and, and you know, pleasure and embodiment and, and all of those kind of things like that. And, and then in, you know creating and enforcing and and even just being aware of your own boundaries and your your own desires and and things like that um but then you know and modeling that so that other people see that you know being aware of and and caring about those things is is something that everyone deserves mm. Mm, mm. um bodily autonomy and and pleasure mm. <laughs> yeah um, but then, you know, how we may be acting in ways that are harming other people's ideas about their bodies and about what's good or bad or worthy or unworthy. Um, and, you know, I guess not falling into, because it's so easy to do with all of these kind of discussions in around, like, blaming yourself and then just becoming stagnant around it or feeling like you're being blamed and becoming defensive and then shutting down. Um, you know, you can only have learned what you can have learned in your life and you've had exposure to, and actually, you know, it's not it's not a, a, a judgment on you that you've not had exposure to certain things in your life because, you know, you've not experienced certain marginalised identities. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's too easy to become defensive about those things and that just stops any kind of learning and any kind of growth. Mm. Whereas it's a lot harder, but it's a lot, so much richer to be able to go, yeah, actually, I was really not aware of that and I probably did hurt some people through not knowing that thing. Um, but where can I grow and where can I change and and learn um, mm. from that. Um, mm. and, and you just, I know I think about it myself when I'm starting to fall into that defensive space. I go, you know, actually when I've seen other people kind of admit and recognize and, you know, learn and grow from experiences like that, I respect that, mm. you know, I'm not going, <laughs> oh, man, what a loser. Like, why would you ever admit that you did something less than perfectly? Like, yeah, right. get out of People town. choose to grow. No, exactly. Than, like, you know, I respect that. The same way that okay. if someone tells me no because they're, in, like, 
know their own boundaries and they're enforcing, you know, what they need, you know, or or they're doing some self-care or something like mm. that. I'm like, hell yeah, keep doing that. Thank you for saying no to me. Mm. <laughs> um, because it also gives me, like, it gives, you know, me the ability or to feel like I can do that and other people aren't judging me negatively as well. Like, it gives me the a bit of a boost to yeah. do what I need to do as well. Yes, I love that. Love that. Yeah, it's really interesting um, to hear you sort of talk about um, when we talk about the the advice um, that, that people can take on board to maybe if their kids are going through something or, or people they know are going through something. It sounds so much like good advice for everybody to <laughs> actually not just judge people on, you know, how perfectly they fit in a particular gendered box or how fit yeah. they are or yeah. all those kind of things. You're like, oh, hang on a minute. This is actually Because that's the really thing is, is trans people and gender diverse people are the people who suffer the most from, from rigid gender expectations yeah. and gender rules, but everyone is fucked over yeah. by that. Yeah. You know, the number of, of men who's only who feel like their only outlets for feelings is heterosexual relationships mm substances or violence you know and how much of life that means that you miss out on totally yeah um and how the depths of connections and you know and the, which are the things that you're looking for that's what with, one session. with, with yeah. those you know with those other things you know is what you're trying to find you know some real you know human human connection yeah mm-hmm. um and to feel like just because we've got these incredibly outdated and never never true you know ever in any culture yeah. never true um you know ideas about gender is is really sad and i and i hope that you know yeah through what's a really like you know, crappy and difficult experience for trans people that maybe, you know, one of the good things that comes out of that in a larger sense is everyone going, wait a second. Like, yeah. yeah. Mm. Just some specific things around pronoun stuff, which, because I always get asked this and I think it's actually really useful for anyone. If you're struggling with around using different pronouns for someone who's, you know, asking you to use different pronouns for them, or if you're struggling with the whole concept of um, they, them as a pronoun for a single person rather than a group of people, which some people like like to get real, oh, God, the number of people that go, but that's just not, like, you know, that's grammatically correct. And it's like, one, you're not even, that's not even true. (laughs) And two, you know, it's the same people that go, you can't use that word in a a slam poem. That's not a real word. And I was like, where do you think words come from? (laughs) They're not like dropped from a box in the sky. Like, Mm -hmm. they come from, like, use. (laughs) We create them because there's a need for them and we create them. So even if it was just that, you know, here is this group of people who are now, you know, finally feeling safe enough, maybe to start to make their existence known, not that that's true, but in itself, but, um, you know, even if that was the case, like, still don't be a dick. 
Sounds like a very specific story in a rabbit hole that I would love to dive down. Oh, yeah. But you were going to... Oh, yeah. (laughs) What were you saying? um, It's two specific pieces of advice. And both of these are ones that don't require you to fuck up at the person's face who you're trying to get it right Mm -hmm. for. Mm. Because so often it's like our only... Maybe our only places of practice are those kind of situations, which is like, that's really, you know, it would be good if we had other places to practice. And so one of them is is practicing breaking down those ideas in your head around the automatic assumption that what someone looks like is the pronoun that they use. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, often we tell stories about things like, oh, I was in a cafe and these two women were so blah, 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 or, you know, I was standing behind these dudes at the rugby and things like that, and going, whenever you can, catching yourself and going, actually... Did I ask those people what gender they identified as? Yeah. Mm. Did I ask them, and even if I did, did I ask them what pronouns they use? Um, and just kind of mm. not practicing going like I was sitting beside two people in a cafe that were talking about going to the gym and Zumba and something and something and something. Um, you know, or... You know, I was behind this person in the in the bakery and they said... You go first, whatever. Because um, you can't know gender Because, by one, we're practicing it ourselves. We're also modeling it to anyone else who goes, Why did you say that? Like, mm. was it, were they men or women? And you go, Actually, interesting. Let's have a little conversation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. My other piece of specific <laughs> advice is about practicing pronouns with someone um, or using pronouns for someone when they're not there is to practice saying their name which, again, let's just say the name that they ask you to call them rather than the name that you maybe have known them their whole life or mm-hmm. that you prefer for them or yeah. whatever. Um, Practising saying their name and their pronoun as, like, a one-word one rolled together. Example? Like, Cole he. Okay. Cole he, Cole he, Cole he. Like, because so much of these pronoun usage is actually automatic Mm -hmm. um, rather than that you're specifically trying to be a dick. (laughs) And if you're training your brain to kind of... Because that's the way we use that pronoun generally. We don't use it to someone's face. We use it when we're talking about that person to someone else. So if you're saying... If you're telling a story to Tim, you're like, when I was with Cole, he... like is generally almost always the way in which we use that phrasing. And so if you're practicing rolling it together, it will kind of help trigger that automatic response in your head. Such a lovely little home exercise. I worked that one out myself. Straight from the most prominent (laughs) trans storyteller in Aotearoa. A few exercises to take away after this podcast. That's amazing. (laughs) Thank you for it. Such a gift. Can I ask a couple of things that I struggle with that might be um, helpful for the listeners Um, and you may or may not be able to shed some light but it's really about um, when you're having conversations with people and it's not maybe not just about this subject matter actually but other subject matters where you don't necessarily feel that you are almost qualified to be having this kind of conversations I don't know if it's like there's like a there's like a point where you're like hmm I'm not sure that I should be going going down this rabbit hole am i perhaps informed enough how is there a sort of oh you mean that in a conversation you're the more knowledgeable of the two but you don't feel like you're knowledgeable enough i don't know i think it's more that like um sometimes i feel like i'm not qualified to even partake in a conversation i'll listen Mm. and try and 
try and learn. Um, and then on the flip side, I can be having a conversation with, say, an older relative, and I try and remember the context in which they've grown up and maybe been exposed to the subject matter. But um, I, I then get frustrated at, at their sort of lack of understanding of my perspective. And do you know what I mean? And yeah. So I guess you're, you're the be- so w- the moment when you're the best gateway to the queer community, but you're like, but yeah, I'm, I, I'm it. <laughs> I guess it like really, that? it's the, the question is how to kind of build that space for people to ask daft questions, maybe, and and instead of kind of I don't know shaming them, shaming them because they ask a silly question, how do you take people on that journey a little bit and kind of help guide them along? And I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's a, it's. It does, like, very much depend, like, it is It is absolutely something that you get better at, and yeah. it is absolutely a learning experience, yeah. and so I guess not, like, number one is don't beat up on yourself if it doesn't go perfectly, Yeah. Um, because you're just learning too. That's it, right? <laughs> um, but I guess the thing that I kind of advise to lots of people, um, because something that often happens kind of when well, I say often, that that can happen when people have just come out as, you know, and they're really amped up about kind of being an activist and things like that, is can get quite hardcore about mm. making sure, like, getting really frustrated really quickly when people get stuff wrong and feeling like when people get stuff wrong that it's because that they're, like, not trying or that they're deliberately trying to be antagonistic. Yeah. And I guess... The thing that I've certainly realised myself is that, like, the majority of the time, people aren't actually trying to be assholes. Yeah. Like, they're genuinely getting stuff wrong because they haven't had exposure yeah. to that. And I think, you know, remembering that, like, even if you have to kind of be like, remember, like, you know, not everyone's had the same experiences mm, as me. Yeah, yeah. Like, not everyone <laughs> can be as, breeze, yeah. super knowledgeable and awesome as me. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, coming at it from a, like, um, I mean, this is how I might um, point out to someone that they're using the wrong pronouns for someone. Mm. It would be like, hey, you might actually not know, but our friend, you know, da-da-da-da-da, you know, or even if it was just our friend and gesture, if you don't want to have to say... Yeah. Our friend, this you know them as X, um, you know, actually uses they them pronouns. Yeah. Um, and yeah, rather than being like, "Hey, stop being an asshole," like yeah. you know, so <laughs> so coming fine. into it, or you know, if you're <laughs> if you're creating an environment where someone is more likely to be able to admit, "Hey, I just didn't know." Rather than you're accusing me of being, you know, yeah, and so an they're in a corner, you're then, in a corner. Then, then it's very easy for them to kind of double down and be like, you know what, like, actually you're wrong, or actually I know this, or actually fuck mm. you and storm off, um, you know, because no, no learning and no growth really happens in those kind of defensive mm. shutdown yeah. environments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also a fan of being like. You know, in those situations where you said, like, you know, you don't feel qualified or whatever like that, this is my advice in all things, is just be honest about those things, too. Yeah. So be like, hey, we've gotten into terror, like, and even if you can, like, make a bit of a, you know, joke about it, it's like, we we feel like, I feel like we've gotten into territory where I'm totally not qualified to, like, 
know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. How about we take a class trip yeah. <laughs> to the internet <laughs> and ask some people who do. Yeah. Um, you know, like any of those kind of tips and tricks about breaking down or lightening up interpersonal communication, mm. like is very helpful in these kind of situations. Yeah. Um as well. No, that's that's good advice. Um, keep keep it light and keep it genuine in the space of actual, you know, the intent is to learn as yeah, opposed to just yeah. castrate people that get it wrong and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah and I guess also, like, from a growth point of view, knowing that if you are likely or it seems that it's becoming more common that you are getting into conversations like this where you do feel like you're getting out of your depth, you're getting out of your depth going, oh, maybe, you know, I should go and do a little bit of upskilling or maybe yeah. I should go and, you know, chat with someone I know knows more and, and ask them if they've got some yeah. good resources or good tips or whether it's okay to punt them their way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which it's probably a lot of the time not because they're already <laughs> quite tired and have got a lot on their plate. And the more that you can do kind of as as an ally or, or someone, you know, who's, who is in allyship with a marginalised group to sort of not do that is is helpful yeah um but again it is it's a complex balance between balancing not speaking for a group and also not being like not pressuring wipe my hands of like knowing anything about anything and Mm. let's just give it to the people who are already doing a huge amount of yeah emotional labor and and educational work and are just really tired like (laughs) often (laughs) yeah Awesome. So knowing the knowing the good resources like websites because they don't require someone to actually do the work for you. Yeah. Um, ahead of time is like yeah, pre prepared is is pre. Yeah. There's I'm sure there's some saying there. Is is pre something. Oh, you're checking with me. There's a saying, but I I've yeah. never I always mangle them. Have you put in the preparatory work? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Is that helpful? Thank you. I'm also the one that did the spelling earlier. Oh, yeah. good, good. <laughs> There's the, See, I'll just punt that your way because I'm terrible at spelling. <laughs> what were you going to say, Tim? I was going to say that I did see one on a, on a triathlon T-shirt that was like, uh, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. So it's, oh, kind, yeah. of, it's kind of that, but the other way around. Oh, yeah. so treats trans allyship like a triathlon. Yeah, that's the takeaway. That's the takeaway from this. Nice. Yeah, it's been it's so juicy talking to you, and I feel like there is so much more we could delve into. But I am aware that we should. (laughs) We're getting all the hand signals that mean wrap up the conversation. Yeah, but you know, it's so it's um yeah, it's I'm sure that we can deep dive with you another time as well, and you've provided some really great rabbit holes for other people to go down, and we'll put those all in the show notes. Hey Tim, that's right. Yeah, so um, rurangi.com is one, and insideout.co.nz, I think, is another. Um, and I haven't even talked about sexy sex. <laughs> oh, yeah, what do, you, what, what do you wish you'd learned from your sex education? Can oh, you that question? Okay, uh, I think the question that you that you um, were like, oh, we might ask you this question, and it was about what did you get from a sex education, and I had a good one for that. The Literally, the only thing I can remember from my sex education in primary school and intermediate school I them is a lot of my gym teacher being super awkward and like <laughs> whatever in high school sex education so if we're just talking about primary and intermediate is the external sex educator so who's the one who came in rather than making a poor teacher have to do it mm-hmm. um 
she brought a cush ball with her and and the thing which I think everyone else is learning for the rest of that day year just stopped at this point that she said this where she was like um actually no now I think about the cush ball didn't have anything to do with it but she talked about how the the folds of a vagina are like the skin of a roly dog and I think all of us were kind of like those are some really weird, like, <laughs> imagery there. <laughs> and all of us now, you should be you should be seeing my eyebrows and right now. No, it's also <laughs> but weird. These are, like, year fives or something like that who are, like, even talking about, like, weird dogs and talking, like, was going to already cause a bit of a, like, distracted class. Uh. Like, so you put that plus six. Together and it was just like because a rolly dog at the time was the icon for a particular brand of toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that also added to the whole weird slash ick factor of yeah. of it. So any discussions about hey you know like all kinds of people and all kinds of gender identities can have vaginas didn't get anywhere near that right. that conversation it just everything stopped everything stopped at the yeah. end of the rolly dog like, didn't yeah. get anywhere near there for the next 20 years i'm sure but um <laughs> well we know <laughs> that's to, another we know to leave that out i guess of what i'm about to ask you which is um of course we are making a sex and space board game specifically yeah. with the intention yeah to open conversations about yeah. sex gender bodies well it oh. certainly closed it yeah, yeah. but so yeah. we won't put anything about rolly dogs but if you were picking <laughs> oh, up that's where the crystal came in oh, there sorry, was, please there was the some weird sort of like fondling of the cush ball at the same time that this thing was being said <laughs> right so it was just a Pass whole <laughs> clusterfuck of like of sex education that yeah it's amazing what sticks in your mind though. yeah that's it <laughs> that's all I learned <laughs> Well, I'm interested in if you were to open up this this imaginary board game, which is still in the prototyping phase. But um, <laughs> the picture of the 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 the, under, the um, not underwear um, toilet paper mascot and a cush ball. Yeah, and that's and the in word the vagina in across the, the two of them, and yeah. that would be yeah, the game. Be like that's you, the game. It's all, all you need to because the game is working out. What the fuck? These what does this mean? <laughs> <laughs> a game of association. But if you open this game, what would you be... It's a trivia game. That's the format. What would you be delighted to see in there? What would you be like, fuck yeah, these guys are getting it right? Ooh. I feel like that's going to be the whole, like... And they wasted our last five minutes of airtime with just sitting there trying to think of something. I'm going to have to come back to you on that one. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, she'll email you. Great. Great. We could and put Cole's email suggestions into the, yeah. <laughs> into yeah, the yeah, show notes yeah. as well. I hope, like, the, a giant thing being like, idea by Cole. Like, yeah, great. Yeah, credit you. Absolutely. I'm all about yourself credit. My name and likes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got that from <laughs> you. Screw all this education <laughs> activist bullshit. Like, yeah. it's really... The neon signs. It's please. about the neon signs. Yeah. And the Ludang is just being picked up by Hulu, hey? This it is the, has. This is the cool news. I know. What is my life? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Where can people watch it? Uh, How can they watch well, it? Well, if you're in the US, on Hulu. Um, but in New Zealand, it will be on Neon in May. Awesome. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for your time. Internationally, stay tuned. Definitely. Yes, of course, <laughs> yeah. of course. will have those kind of updates. Brilliant. And yes, our will. Facebook page. Yes, and you are not a walking website. No. Um, but I'm getting better at this <laughs> social media <laughs> yeah. promo stuff. Gold, it's been such a delight to speak to you. Thank you so much for oh, your time. It's been delightful being here, although a little bit hot, but it's, yeah. that's all right. It's one. just you two. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> open the door. Hey, we really, really hope you enjoyed that. If you want to check out more of Cole or his work, um, I mean, you could watch Shortland Street, but you can also check out the show notes. Uh, we'll put all those details in there. Yeah, go check that out. As I mentioned before, this is episode 10. If you haven't heard episodes 1 through 9, go back and check those out. They're on any good podcast platform. They're also available on YouTube or through our website, sexandspace.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, if you want to share the love, uh, give us any criticism or feedback, um, pitch some ideas, shout out some topics you want covered, or um, yeah, direct us to some people you think we should talk to. That'd be amazing. Uh, send us some emails and pictures, um, or anything else to hello at sexandspace.com. We'd also love a cheeky little follow on Facebook or Instagram, whatever your preference. Um, you can find us at sexandspace.com. That's sexandspace, D-O-T-C-O-M. If you so desired, Apple Podcasts is a great place to give us a lovely little review. They really, really help. And uh, yeah, we appreciate them massively. Huge thanks, as always, to all our guests, Clive at Factory Studios, the team at String Theory, to Andrew, Tanya, Brandon, David and Richard for their amazing voices, and super special thanks to my amazing co-host, Jess Holly Bates. And thank you to you for making it all the way to the end. Join us on episode 11. Bye. If you found some of this material a little challenging, keep coming back and we'll make it really challenging.